Yo, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug about Antares and Autotune. Antares makes the original industry standard autotune that we all know and love the sound of. We are sponsored by them, so if you visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash autotune, we do get a small kickback from every purchase. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me today, as always, is my lovely co-host, Pro L. Lou. Uh, you know, anytime you use me, just make sure you slam that input knob at like 20 decibels. You'll love the way it sounds. Heck yeah, heck yeah. 20 decibel boost into Pro L. Lou. You know, the different settings of Pro L2 from Fab Filter, uh, that could be an entire episode in itself. Yeah. Like, um... The way the attack and release work is actually pretty interesting. I don't know if you've ever played yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I haven't looked into the specifics, but I do know like the generalized how they correlate, and how they change. Yeah, because like the, the even conceptually, the idea of an attack time on a brick wall limiter is, is kind of funny. Yeah. yeah, but like if you look into it, it it makes sense. But I, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. Anyway, um, today's episode is potentially brief, but uh, this is something that goes against everything. a lot of things that we've talked about in the past. As you know, something that Lou and I talk a lot about is boundaries. Um, I'm a big proponent of sustainable mental health, um, pushing yourself to do the best work that you can, to be um, honest and filled with integrity, uh, full of integrity, but at the same time, being aware um, that taking care of your mind is important, um, especially as creatives. Uh, and then on top of that, Lou and I specifically from those conclusions, we, we talk about boundaries, Yeah, not being the type of person, um, that is, uh, a kiss ass that uh, don't be a yes man. Yeah. Um, you know, make sure that you have boundaries in play and you do not let other people trample over your boundaries. Now this is, uh, I think there's a balance to this. And this is really interesting and goes directly against that line of thinking. But I went to hang out with Grammy-winning mastering engineer Dale Becker this week. And I basically said this to him at some point during our conversation. I said, I'm at a weird point in my career. I'm doing well enough that I know I'm on the right path, but not well enough that I still want to do more. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I'm in a point, basically, I'm in a point where it's hard to, people have less advice to give because I'm doing good enough. Mm-hmm. But I said, knowing that you're at the top of your game, um, one of the top mastering engineers in the world, uh, what is some advice for someone at my stage? And he said something really interesting that I think uh, deserves an entire podcast episode. He said to me during the pandemic, a lot of podcasters, and I did point out that I'm probably one of those, a lot of people were all about mental health and they talked about boundaries And I do think that boundaries is really good. But he said, DK, at this point of your career, having too many boundaries may kill your progress. And and then more importantly, there's a lot of nuance to that. Like he talked about how labels work and how A&R work. And this is something that we'll talk about. Um, The the complexities and the nuance of, of just how practically how these industries and these labels and companies are are ran. Um, And then he talked about how you have to figure out a balance to be the guy that is able to do anything on the spot, um, but also maintain your level of mental health. 
and it's not and and I think that balance and boundaries is an important conversation but I do and he said I do think that if you talk about these things too early in career too early in your career it can keep you from um, succeeding and here's the thing too the the I want to be clear on the level of succeeding that he's talking about is not whether or not you can make an income from music. It's about whether or not you can be on the level of winning, getting nominated and winning Grammys, mm-hmm. which is different. For example, I know a lot of people living in Utah that are make a full-time living, a comfortable full-time living from music that are never, ever, ever going to be put in. Like, well, not I'm not going to say never, but just not even worried about winning Grammys. Like, that's not even something that's on their mind. Mm-hmm. Um it's just not even a fathomable thing, but they are successful in their own right because they have a full-time living. Yeah. What Matt, well, I'm sorry, what uh, Dale Becker was talking about is to be in the full professional game. So um, the first thing that we've done an episode about desire, about what you want, what is it that you want? Do you want to be able to feed your family, to have a family, to feed your children, or do you want to be at the top of the game? Do you, so that is something that you need to decide for yourself. That is something that I'm thinking about constantly, and I'm not going to pretend like I know exactly what I want. I have a general idea. Mm. Um, I know, like the one thing for me is, I'd rather be a present and great dad. If I have, if I have to pick between multi Grammy winning mix engineer or being a successful father, there's not even a sh- there's not even a little bit that I would consider Mm -hmm. sacrificing being a good dad for a Grammy. Like that is not something worth it for me. But luckily I believe that I can do both. So, um, anyway, uh, Lou, let's first talk about desire. And I want you to not, not speaking in the sense of advice or, um, I want you to talk about your personal thought processes of how you feel about success um, and your personal desires. Okay. That's kind of interesting. Cause that's honestly been something I've been thinking about a lot lately, not as like a new year's or anything kind of like that. I know it is the new year, but, um, there's been quite a few changes. Like I'm moving and everything. And then, uh, like part of it is I actually, um, I've actively started, uh, any kind of ties that I have, like, uh, to like, any kind of scheduled work I've been switching up, like to the point where I may let go of some of them. Um, but mainly because a lot of the conversations I've been having with Anna lately is like what I want this year, what I want moving forward, um, how I want to approach it. And like, I mean, Anna, Anna's I'm, Lou's wife, by the way. Oh, yeah. If you're new to My the podcast, wife. Anna's Lou's wife. Yeah. She's very pretty in case she hears this. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta throw it in. Come on, man. Hype okay, up your wife. Ahead, Hype ahead. up your wife. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, it's kind of funny because like, <laughs> I like how it's like I like how obligatory that was. It's like it was like the least heartfelt thing. I guess. And if you are listening, I I, I want to mention that he actually does pretty. think you're very pretty. Like, yes. That's not like it wasn't obligatory. Oh no, you, sh- you should. You should hear how I hype her up every day. If you don't hype your wife up every day, then she's not your wife. <laughs> Dude, I mean, just, she might be. It was wife. just like it was. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh, by the way, she's pretty. Yeah, just in case you're listening. In case you're like listening. Most, yeah. yeah, just you're like saving my, I'm saving my own ass. Here. That's what it felt like. <laughs> I go home, it's like, I heard you talking about other girls on the podcast. <laughs> Um, All right, go ahead, though. But no, like, honestly speaking, like, it's kind of funny because, like, I even made a post about this talking about, like, 
lately I've been feeling like a lot of inspiration and like want and like focus in what it is that I'm after right now. And that, that doesn't mean I'm making any major changes. I'm still mixing and mastering, but like with the move and everything, there's like a lot of things that I want and it's just been on the top of my mind, but it's like this driving force in me right now. It's the point where like, I can't sleep lately. I spend all night making spreadsheets and calculating every number in my head and trying to like really make sense. But the funny thing is it's, that's exactly how I felt when i really knew that I wanted to make music. I worked a full-time job. I went to school full-time. I was in a relationship and I owned a recording studio with another production company I was with and I was there eight hours a day. So realistically, I was sleeping four hours a day and I was almost never home, but like that amount of like drive and everything was my desire. Like literally being that motivated and excited to go to work every day to continue growing and learning more. It was it was the adrenaline rush a lot of people look for in life, you know, and honestly speaking, that desire is really what's going to carry you through whether uh, you're starting out or at a later stage in your career. You know, so what changed recently? You said so. Say that again. Well, what, what there's been a, like I'm moving and stuff and all that, and so there's I a feel big life change. There's big life changes and stuff <laughs> like that, but uh, realistically speaking, it's like. For instance, my uh, studio design company and the acoustic stuff that I do, like it's been doing well to the point where like... You've been doing very well with that stuff. Yeah, but unexpectedly so. But it's funny because like my drive from uh, success in that wasn't motivated by like money or anything. It's just like I really like designing studios. I really like seeing a space come together and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, how amazing can I make a studio? I want to make one of the most amazing studios. And it's like that want. That yeah. want is what's driving me. It's not, it's not the need to build the biggest studio. It's like, I really want to see the fulfillment of something amazing, something that I could really right. say, like, this is a masterpiece. The same way that some people say, like, this is the greatest mix I've ever worked on. I think that's a really good balance where you're, if you can somehow, not rationalize, rationalize feels evil, but if you can somehow align your personal selfish desire with what you do for work in that sense, mm-hmm. for example... Wanting to do mixing because you think mixers are cool is not a... Uh, it's okay to think that mixers are cool because yeah, we a, yeah. are. I'm so cool. But it's it's not a very sustainable <laughs> motivator for doing good work. Can you imagine having to try to like be cool all day instead of just being yourself? Yeah. It's very draining. Like at the end of the day, the people that are doing really well in the industry, I do find somehow have managed to maintain their passion for whatever they're working on. Yeah. And the cool thing about being human is that every human has a really weird and specific passion. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, at the end of the day, mixing is very strange. Like it's a very specific, technical, <laughs> and nerdy thing that most people don't want to even think about. I think I told you the. You know? I think I told you like when we first met that. Um, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, like I had signed for like a new apartment and it just didn't work out because the pandemic hit. I was like, oh shit, all studios closed, all concerts ended. So I hit up my family and I'm like, hey, let me rent the, the room in the back. And they're like, sure, no worries. Um, but it was also the first time my mom ever heard me working and she did not know part of mixing was like looping the verse so that you can edit the vocal and make sure it's in key and, you know, clean up the mud, add the right reverb tails. And I just get a call from her. She's like, why do you keep playing the same line over and over and over again? It's driving me insane. Like, can you turn down the speakers? I'm like, I'm at the lowest volume I can. I'm sorry. It's like some people hear what we do and they're just like fascinated by how we're not blowing our brains out. Yeah, I love like 
I love the weirdos that have really strange hobbies. Yeah. Like for me, like for me, like mixing and loving and f- like I find mixing very cathartic. Like mm-hmm. it's very relaxing for me. It's definitely something that I love. It's the perfect balance of creative and technical. Yeah. Something I can get really into. Um, I'm very passionate about mixing and music in general, like listening mm-hmm. to music and the value of music in, in society. Um, I, I like, for example, I, I find it equivalent to like, I also really like mechanical keyboards. I, yeah. lube, I lube my yeah. switches. I will solder mechanical keyboards. I will make custom keybinds on and I will have, I will flash software onto a PCB that I've potentially soldered myself. It's a mechanical keyboard like that you type on. Yeah. Like that's really nerdy. And I look at the Pokemon cards marketplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's it's like that's yeah. that's kind of what mixing is. It's like this really weird niche thing that like most people think it's interesting that you have this hobby. Like the hobby itself yeah. is isn't interesting. Like most people look at us and be like, it's interesting that you like this. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like so strange. So what do you like to do all day? It's like <laughs> sit in a dark uh, room and listen to the verse a million times and try to time the reverb right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Explaining how to like time a reverb right to somebody who doesn't do music at all is like explaining the thing that they never actually ever paid attention to and they're like wait that's a thing yeah that's a thing we're we're, we're i digress we're drifting away from the main from thesis the topic, here yeah. from the main thesis but um let's go back the point is we do something that's fairly niche that's fairly nerdy that's fairly weird um that most people are genuinely not interested in and luckily we found our our desires to be aligned directly with what we do we're not trying to be mixers to prove to our dads anything to do anything like I, we both genuinely love, genuinely love music. And that's not something that, um, that is, is just something that you have to have to, in order to get into, but it's also difficult to maintain as you build your career. Yeah. I would say most people f- like lose their passion in music when they realize that it's, it's a lot harder to make money from this and you don't get vacation, like dedicated vacation days if you just worked an office job. So, like an office job is so much easier. So like how much do you love music versus how much are you willing to like care about per- like self-income taxes? Yeah. Like, There's you know, like, have you ever seen the YouTube channel Infographics? They, yeah, they, yeah. yeah. Um, there was one about like dopamine hits, and like in the episode, it talked about like how long some people's like new fascinations pan out. And uh, on a deep fascination, it's typically a year. Mm-hmm. If you found yourself doing this past a year, that's that's passion for something. Yeah, it's it's not a new obsession or it's not a new hobby. Yeah, yeah. There's a um, I will a DL on our live stream. We are live right now, and on our YouTube channel, DL. Username DL says, do you guys also produce tracks or engineer? I think this will um, lead into another part of this conversation that I want to get into, um, which is why as much as for two people that talk so heavily about boundaries and making sure that you don't get trampled on and making sure that you love your clients and you don't build uh, a base of clientele that you hate and abhor, um, I, I do think there's many parts and times of a career that in general, are very good to not having as many boundaries and to just working your ass off. I think one of those is timing at the beginning. So like right at, in high school, well, in high school, if most people don't typically find their passion during high school. If you are yeah. someone that found that you really like FL Studio, that you really like engineering while in high school, that's like an awesome thing. Um, and that's very uncommon. Most people find it afterwards, maybe even in college. Um, 
or afterwards. Some people don't even fight until like they're 40, 50, you know, yeah. they, they, they switch from like their regular medical, they were like an insurance agent and now they're like, actually, I just want to do music. You know, give it up. I've met a lot of people like that, actually. Like, uh, surprising, a surprising amount of people. And then... Yeah, uh, I know a lawyer that did that. Yeah. He, he was telling me how, like, uh, like uh, one of the big cases that he took on was, like, uh, like something about, like, somebody suing, like, the city of L.A. And, like, the, the winning amount was, like, close to, like, $50 million. And, like, his commission off of that, he's like, I was able to live for, like, 10 years off of that. But I really hated my job, you yeah. know? And I was like, so what, so you got into music? He's like, yeah. And I was like, how's that panned out? He's like, I own my own studio. I have my own staff. I'm I'm good. I'm like, yeah. well, at least you, you, you switched up something that pays you significantly more for something that you enjoy significantly more. Yeah. So that sounds like a win to me. Yeah. So there's a, I, I do think that if you're going to uh, work hard, there's going to be a few times going back to that. There's going to be a few times in your life that working hard and having less boundaries, I think is appropriate. And one is when you're able to live off of ramen. Yeah. Like when, once after a certain age, and this is different for everybody after a certain age, um, emotionally, you're just not willing to deal with bullshit. <laughs> uh, physically, you are not able to live on ramen every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're in your early twenties, you fucking should. Yeah. And a part of that too is you should do everything. Like, I don't think you should say no to anything at the beginning stages of your career. Yeah. Like, if someone wants you to be in a songwriting session, if that interests you, you should do it. If someone invites you to be an engineer, if that interests you, you should do it. Yeah. Someone invites you to master something, if it interests you, and uh, even if you're going to fuck it up, I would say just say yes. Say yes to everything and anything for the purpose of figuring out what you don't like. You know, it's funny. I actually agreed to... Uh, I don't know if I ever specifically said this but it's something i've always acknowledged uh in that same notion the first time i got offered a gig for mastering i said yes i i definitely had never mastered for anybody on a professional level before and so it was one of those like big leap kind of things but it's actually the way i got my credit with eric bellinger uh which was really cool um but i was like 24 years old you know 24 years old getting a major level credit for mastering and it was one of those where I was just saying yes to different things. Um, and it was for Stat Quo over at uh, Fake Work. Um, they asked me to work on the Damian Lillard thing. And it turns out the A&R for that was working with Yao Lee. And Yao Lee had Eric Bellinger on his project. And they asked me to be involved with that. But literally the Damian Lillard thing, I agreed to do that session for free. There you go. And it led to a major label credit with somebody who, I guess, Eric Bellinger is still currently on the top of his game right now. There's I think a, so, right? There- uh, I'm not exactly sure is Eric Bell- about Eric Bellinger, um, but I know that TZO has a very similar story with Chris yeah. Brown and how he got his first plaque mm-hmm. from something that the label never paid him for. Oh, yeah. That was uh, Romeo uh, from not fair. Aventura. Yeah, that sh- that's not fair. It's not fair. But it's not fair, but I mean, that is something. I mean, <laughs> me and you have seen some labels just won't pay for months. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're literally in the middle of something right now. Well, I'm not worried that they're not gonna. No, they're gonna take care of it. They always take care of us. It's just taking longer. But they're yeah. My first major label mix was uh, uh, ignored, and it's still ignored. It's being ignored. I gave up. They probably wanted me to give up, and I did. After about 20 emails, I gave up. God damn. It wasn't like that sucks either way. Well, I mean, I also like was just grateful to be there. Like I'm still so new to the game that I was just grateful to be there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's something that I'm not going to forget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like better yeah. systems. Actually, in fact, all my invoices have updated uh, like terms 
because of these kinds of burns where like if you don't pay on time, the rate increases. And every time I bring that up in an email just before time caps out, I get my payment now because they're like, wait, you're going to charge us more? It's like, no, you're charging yourself more and it's 50% more. And they always get scared and paid immediately. Yeah, and that's depending on like the level too. Like if it's just fucking like if it's you if you're invoicing universal for 50 bucks. Yeah, or like even if it yeah, if you're invoicing universal, it there's not one single person that can make a decision to just be like pay your invoice on time. Yeah. Like it has to go through dozens of people in an entire office, so it's just like it's just not possible to do that. A so like if the team that you're that, working with is small yeah. enough that can do that, that can make a split second decision like that, that's awesome. Yeah. But like you got to also be aware like that's not always the case. Yeah. Which uh, by the way Universal was the one that screwed me over. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I think it was for me too. Yeah, it was Universal. Uh, cuz Sony and Interscope have been good to me. Um but I don't think I've done No. No, actually no, you're right. Universal is the one that I currently have an issue with right now. There's uh, even um, you music, yeah. Even some of the subsidiaries of Universal have been good to me. It's specifically yeah. Universal yeah. directly. <laughs> but I will say this: uh, somebody a part of it. Um, I told them that the the invoice was so late that I have to charge them the the different net terms, and they paid the difference out of their own pocket. So same thing. Somebody in a subsidiary took care of me at least for the difference for now. While I still wait for the main invoice. (laughs) So I'm like, how did I get paid the difference before the actual invoice? But no, honestly speaking, like it's, it's things like this where like, if you have a passion for something and it's really driving you towards it, like these are some of the roadblocks you're going to hit at some point, you know? And once again, it's, it's, comes down to like are you a team player and sometimes that's going to be the defining reason why you get to work with certain people and if that's where you want to go if that's part of your hit list right that's uh like then this is kind of some of the stuff you're going to be dealing with yeah but and if you do have like and going back to the main the main mm -hmm. part of the the podcast episode too is like the point is if you're not if you're not so in love with what you do enough that you're willing to get burned once or twice, obviously it's not good to yeah. burn someone. It's not good to get burned. You need to defend yourself and make yep. sure that you get paid. Put that is in important. Place. But if you are so sensitive that you're not willing to consider that as an option, like um, you need, like if you want to do well, you have to be courageous and recognize that if someone doesn't pay you, it's on them. It's not on you. Yeah. Like you have to do your part and if there's like a left, like I use the word courage on purpose, courageous here on purpose. It's because at the end, this is like more of a lesson on life too. This can be extrapolated into life in general, but like at the end of the day, you have to be a good person and be a man of your word. And you have to have the courage to realize if someone screws you, it's on them, not, not on, on you. you. And it's not a reflection of your work and you should never let it affect your work. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, that's uh, that so can another be a challenge time, sometimes. Yeah, there's uh, there's another uh, a time in your life. Uh, so for me, Dale Becker w- was saying to me in my moment. You know, I just turned thirty this uh, a few months ago. Um, I'm at the uh, how, how do you say like I feel like I'm in the top one percent, but I'm at the bottom of the top one percent. Like I yeah, that like, makes sense. Like <laughs> I'm at the very bottom. I might be in the top five. Like I'm at the bottom of the top five percent. or something Yeah, like, like I'll, I'll give a good example. Like I was really flabbergasted at something I was told yesterday because um, I saw a friend that I haven't seen in years, and randomly at Target um, in the same neighborhood that we both live in. So it's like we live in the same neighborhood, still haven't seen each other in years, but. 
um, he asked me, he's like, dude, how you doing? I'm like, well, you know, I'm moving this and that. And, um, like I told him like, Hey, he's like, are you still working in music? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you still designing studios? I'm like, yeah, I'm doing one for too short right now. He's like, dude, you're fucking living your dream. I'm like, uh, kind. Yeah, God, kind. I was like, I guess I didn't think that. Like, I kind of forget that they're like only like so many people in their life can really say that. And it kind of took me out of, uh, out of, I guess, out of that moment for a second to hear that. Cause I was like, damn, that like, kind of like you said, the bottom of the 1% where I, I, I don't think I'm in that 1% necessarily, yeah. but I'm definitely in that very niche pocket of people where it's like, I don't have a job I hate. No. I just don't feel like I'm doing enough yet. Yeah. Like I'm doing well enough to no longer feel an inferiority complex. Exactly. Yeah. It's like and that, like how many people can you say is like so? What's your job? I get trusted to build people's studios yeah. and plan them out for them, systemize the lighting, the sound, the wiring, everything. It's like you know how to do all that. It's like yeah, it took years to figure it out and really make sure that it's done right. But holy shit, yeah. I guess I'm at that point now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting because like at he and so the point is Dale Becker then said. Um, that a lot of people at my stage of the career that are just getting started, like the mm -hmm. trajectory is really, really good. This is when basically a career like, like potentially can skyrocket or change yeah. dramatically. Um, I'm, I'm literally just at the door. I just opened the door. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm not going to pretend like I didn't like, or like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm way further in the door than I actually am. Like I'm, I'm aware that like, this is new for me too. Mm -hmm. Um, and He's like, if you have too many boundaries at this point, labels are way too busy, have way too tight of deadlines and work with neurotic, chaotic artists. Like they do not have the time. Like, cause at the end of the day, mixing and mastering is a very small part of a big machine. Yeah. Like, like it, the label has a, like to deliver a single song takes so many different people, including the marketing, the advertising, the content creation, everything around it. The business, the finances, the taxes, the expenses. The if, I mean, if you were to look at the budget alone, uh, mixing yeah, the compared yeah. the mixing budget versus like the marketing budget, the recording, we are the so producing, tiny yeah. compared to all. Yeah, of it. so it's like if you're way not, you're just way not enough of a big deal that if you make it difficult for them, it's just it's just not worth hiring you. And that's yeah. something that we've like touched on the last couple episodes is like realization of how small of like you're an important cog, but you are in fact a small cog on a big yeah. machine. So, um, and recognizing that being self-aware about that, uh, at the end of the day, like if you have too many boundaries and you have, like, I have a vacation that is non-negotiable or like, they don't care if you take vacations or not. They, they just want to know that done. if it's reliable. Yeah. They just want to be done. Yeah. And if you're the type of person that can just get things done. And sometimes that may mean, you know, staying up late one night for a couple or like for an entire week or for a couple weeks just to mm -hmm. like finish rush a project um, that may mean that like don't have too many strong boundaries and he said once you get older and you do have a lot more credits and a lot more uh, acknowledgement um, rapport uh, you be you build the leverage to be able to have some boundaries mm -hmm. but even then like this is just part of he basically said like he insin insinuated or like uh, um, he inferred that this is just the nature of the business. If you want to play ball at this level, this is the nature of the business. Yeah. Um, and, and my response to this for the audience is 
you need to decide. And the reason why we talked about earlier, desire, you need to decide whether or not you want to play that ball game. There's nothing wrong about playing basketball in Europe and in China. But if you want to play in the NBA, you have to... Uh, the NBA already has a culture, already mm-hmm. has a game schedule, already has things that are mostly like these these uh, systems and the way things work. The the job of A and R and marketers and stuff. These things were created over hundred like uh, decades. Yeah, and and it's not perfect. The system is not perfect, but it is built on a practical system. Like there's nobody has figured out a better way to do it yet. That's yeah. just all it comes down to. And you have to figure out a way to fit in that machine. It is not your job to change the machine. Yeah. And if you do, and if you want to do that, you're just going to have to accept to play basketball in Europe or in China or something like that, yeah. Europe or in Asia. Like, uh, which is like, there's nothing wrong with it, mm-hmm. but you have to figure out where your desires are. And I know a lot of people, and this is something that I balance with myself all the time, I'd rather make a less of an income not being on TV, not being famous, making, you know... Even if it's like a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or less, I get to play ball. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's enough for most people, for a lot of people. Um, and the, 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 this is kind of unrelated. Uh, but I'm finding myself to be in a really mentally healthy place recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that before my desire to be the best of the best, like that competitive nature was largely based on a feeling of inferiority. Like Mm -hmm. I never felt like just insane insecurity in uh, in a competitive, that which led to incited a competitive nature in me that wanted to be the best. And I never felt like I was enough. Um, But those feelings have gone away. And so have my, and it's really interesting because like I'm kind of also noticing um a change where before I wanted to be the best and work with the best because I felt like I deserved to be among the best. But now it's changed and it's a lot healthier of a place. I find that I want to be the best because I genuinely enjoy the work. Yeah. And I like, I find myself feeling happy that I'm contributing. Mm-hmm. And I find that like, uh, this is a, a quote from psychologist Alfred Adler, happiness is the feeling of contribution. And mm-hmm. I'm noticing that at my level right now, like I've had a friend who said that their, their, their child who's in middle school or high school, their favorite artist is one of my, the artists that I work on. Like, that's like a small oh, thing, but yeah. it's like, you feel con- you're contributing. Yeah. And that I'm like, that alone is what I seek after. Mm-hmm. It's no longer from a sense of insecurity, which can be weaponized in a good way. Yeah, like feeling insecure isn't the end of the world. If it's just bad, if it's overwhelming, <laughs> like yeah. like human beings exist and have been able to pass on their genetic code for generations, mm-hmm. for hundreds of thousands of years because of this insecurity, because of this defensive nature that we have. Like it's human nature; it's part of us. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, that's just. Uh, sorry, that's just uh, completely, we're getting off track now, but what do you think about all that? Honestly speaking, I think it still ties back to the main topic, which is honestly speaking, like if you need to find where you want to be as part of like maintaining that passion and everything, like actually say, okay, um, at a certain point people need you to be able to play ball. But if you hate what you're doing, if you, if you're, if you've gone past the point of, of what you're comfortable with and what you're actually after, and you don't actually align with it anymore, then yeah, maybe it's better you just take a step back. 
But right now, if you're if you're feeling happy in the way you're going about it, you're probably going to end up better off anyways. And you'll probably end up hitting the top of whatever you're trying to hit anyways. Yeah. Like if you wanted to become the best and you honestly enjoy it, have you ever met uh, like some of the top guys and ever heard them say like, oh, I hate what I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, no, no, no. I actually don't, haven't really heard that. Yeah, exactly. They've made mention about the effort that it takes to stay in love with Yeah, they might. They've never said, I've never heard anybody say. That they don't love what they do. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from like, okay, they set up their system so that they can focus on doing what they love to do because emailing is not what they love to do. Anybody that loves to do emailing, uh, hit me up. You can do all my emails for me. Uh, But I hate them, you know? So the less emailing I have to do, the better, the more I can focus on doing what I love to do. So the funny thing is that all of them, are focused on growth and they want to get to that point, but they also realize that what they're growing with and what they're getting paid for is not all these things. So aside from setting up your systems, that's one part of it, but maintaining your passion and actually saying, okay, well, if I want to hit this label level and higher, then sure, some boundaries may have to come down for a little bit, but you have to just stay within a realm that you actually want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. And and on that note, like Like, Dale did mention that like boundaries is important, but not too early like not too his point was not, not too, too many not too many and not too early yeah so it's like you should still always maintain some level of boundaries but you do have to realize and he specifically said it like this you have to recognize and be able to discern which clients you shouldn't have boundaries for mm. so so yeah. he's he's, yeah. he's like no, I get he kind of like picking he's like he kind of said it like that which is really interesting and i'm sure there's a lot of nuance to that but he's like like you don't have to do this with anybody but if Beyonce's teams come to you because there was drama on their mixing team and they're just like, they were just scrambling and one of yep. the people knew you and you just have, you are the backup of the backup of the backup of the backup of the backup and they gave you one shot to do it. That do is it. not a time to be practicing boundaries. Yeah. Does that, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like, he no, didn't say honestly, like you shouldn't remove boundaries completely. It's more like when you are given a shot, you yeah. can ruin it by saying yes, but. I'm willing to bet that, because I know I do that you've done this whether consciously or not where certain people hit you up and you're like, yeah, I'll get it done. But other people hit you up and like that can wait till tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know which one of my clients are actually in a rush and like that I need to prove to versus which some of my clients are not actually in a rush. And it's interesting. Like I've noticed if I think about it right now, the ones that pay significantly more or pay better or take care of me more, I'm willing to be lenient on. Yeah. Um, it's also funny correlation to um, those that pay me more also check on me more because they know it's going to get done kind of thing. It's it's usually the easier person to work with. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not because they're like, yeah, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's like, no, it still matters. It still has to be quality and it still has to be done on time. But they don't have the time nor care to be babysitting you. While sometimes it may feel with like some artists, um, you know that it's not that critical. The deadline's not for a certain amount of time, and these changes don't need to happen right at this very moment. That that yeah yeah those changes do not happen to ha- have to happen at the very moment. Yeah, like uh, I got a call. It was about like a month and a half ago. I was working on a label project and. Um, they asked me, like, is there any way you can send me the bounce right now? I'm like, unfortunately not. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm out with family right now. They're like, oh, you're not at the studio. I'm like, no. They're like, there's no way, like, you could just, like, send a bounce, like, at some point, like, tonight. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm not going to be home until, like, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning. I'm sorry. I'm at a wedding. Like, no, I can't. 
like those boundaries are okay to say like I'm I'm already out I'm in the middle of a family event like I can send it to you once I'm back yeah yeah that's like that's like a have you heard the phrase like um like the idea that uh, I wonder if this is going to lead to any thoughts, but the thought that I'm having right now, which I'm going to test to see if it works. Sure. Um, the concept of if you take a girl on a date and the girl doesn't offer to pay for the meal, then mm-hmm. she wasn't raised correctly. And if the man doesn't say, no, I will pay for the meal. He wasn't raised correctly. Mm. So it's like, neither are wrong. Neither are wrong. But yet you can tell someone's, uh, I so guess, like, point so in, of view. In one, in one point of view, yeah. you may, like, the story could, could have generated into, you were totally right. Like, you, yeah. you couldn't, can't leave a wedding. Like, yeah. That's important. But that may have cost you a job. Yeah. So, uh, and then it's, it's rude for them to expect you to be able to do that in the wedding. Yeah. It's like, but I, if they really, really, really needed it and you were unable to do it, at the end of the day, there's a project that needed to be done regardless yeah and it wasn't able to be done yeah and now i would say that most of the time you could argue that most of the time it's not as much of an emergency as you think but i have noticed that at the at the upper end of the upper tiers of the game um, yeah. actually things are significantly like pretty they're important. really they're really deadline driven which is yeah. really interesting and it's but, really and interesting to see the artists react with the deadlines yeah like it's like so like the song is supposed to be at 7 p.m. that night and they don't deliver the final files till 11 a.m. because they know like yeah. you can't release a song onto Spotify that quickly, but they know that the label will deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, it's like it, kind of fucked up actually. I think I told you uh, like how uh, I spent all night uh, reproducing the song for Keish Cole and Antonio Brown um, because uh, apparently there was a sample clearance issue and uh they were scrambling. They're like, "Oh, we got to figure this out." Blah blah. We might have to reproduce the song from scratch. Blah blah. And like, I just played my role as engineer. I never offered myself. But when they're like, "Do you produce?" I'm like, "I can produce it if you want me to." But uh, I would still have my terms and stuff. You know, whatever. Uh, when do you need it by? And they're like, "Literally, we're supposed to upload it by 5 a.m. like Pacific time. We're in the East Coast." I'm like. Okay. And I just called the people that I knew to get involved in stuff and we got it done on that time. And that's one of those where it's like, here's an opportunity to produce for Keisha Cole and Antonio Brown. This is a cool opportunity. Yeah, I'll stay up all night for this one. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But um it's one of those where it's like, yeah, they, they were letting the label deal with yeah. it. They were letting the label deal with it. Yeah, and I think that also naturally goes into uh one of the questions that were in the chat. One of the questions that were in the chat was um actually let me find it. Uh, at one point, someone, uh, from the comments, uh, that's hard to do in rap music. Rap clients can be aggressive, threatening and demanding. How do you avoid that energy and make good rap? Well, I'll uh, say it like this. If anybody's threatening you at all, fuck them. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not period. Like, um, don't, yeah, that's not a way to I will also say that that's like a, an American, I don't know about, I can't speak for Europe or Australia, but I know for a fact where I'm from, like rappers in Japan show up to show up to sessions on time and they're very respectful. Yeah, see, it's a I, cultural thing. I hate to say, but I wish that was the case in LA. Yeah, it's not yeah. ever going to be. But, uh, uh, but that's kind of like the part of the thing is like based on your desire and based which direction. Like for me, I used to, I thought I wanted to be in the rap hip hop realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is not necessarily a conscious decision, maybe partially, but not really. Um, 
part of my niche that helped me make a career and like the first time I paid rent and was completely self-sustained as employee, my niche was hip hop music. Mm-hmm. It's like I was 22, 20, when my wife quit her job, we had our first baby, first baby, wife quit her job. It was my sole income. Yeah. It was over five years ago. It was cause we had Kaname, my mm-hmm. first, my oldest son. And then when we had the baby, I'm like, I asked Kyoko, you need to be a stay at home mom. Um, I, we can't do this shared shared parenting thing. Like I need someone, I need to focus and I want someone to focus on the kid. Anyway. Um, so that was over five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I was at that time I was strictly hip hop mm-hmm. and consciously, unconsciously, I found that I didn't like working with not rappers, but people that were aggressive, uh, personality wise, personality wise that were disrespectful, um, yeah. which most of the time in America did end up in my situation, in my location, in my, at this point in my life, this is not a generalization to all hip hop everywhere. Yeah. Um, it, it naturally was a lot of rappers. So I, I found myself being completely almost all rappers to now I don't work with and almost any rappers, like maybe a few a year. Yeah. Um, and it's like only the so, ones that are doing really well. Like, so two weeks ago I had an issue where, um, once again, it's 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 weirdly. It wasn't hip hop specifically, but it's personality like that. Um, what I perceived as disrespectful. Like I could have been wrong, but I already knew I was uncomfortable, and I just didn't like the situation. So I opted to work with them for the day. Just let the session time out and finish. Um, I edited the song, and then I just said, "Hey, I'm going to send you your session files. I'm going to send you the mix that I prepared for you, and I'm going to send you a refund." I don't think it's good for the two of us to continue working together. And when they asked me why, I just said, honestly, I think there's a clash of personalities and I don't think it's going to result in me giving you a better product than I could have if there wasn't a clash in personalities. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. There's a lot of nuance in that story too. A lot of things to pull out from that. Story. Yeah. Cause it could have, it could have been more on my, it could have been more on my end. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. There's something that I actually really, I think this will do have something to do with the with the episode two, there's a, an old Ghibli movie for, for some reason it's, it's the only Ghibli movie. One of the only Ghibli movies that is not on HBO max, Mm -hmm. the streaming service. So Ghibli is uh, most recently, they just won an award golden globe for, uh, the boy and the heron, which is their newest one. This is the same animation studio. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki, uh, makes, uh, like Totoro and spirited away Princess Mononoke, mm-hmm. Kiki's Delivery Service, uh, Castle in the Sky, Howl's Moving Castle, all the same animation studio. By the way, in Japanese, it is called Ghibli, Ghibli. so it's not Ghibli, it's Ghibli, technically, uh, but in English, people call it Ghibli. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so with Studio Ghibli, there's a, um, there's a movie that's not on the streaming service. Mm-hmm. It's about World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Grave of the Fireflies. It is a horrendous, horrendously sad movie. It is so, it is one of the saddest mm. movies or saddest stories that I've ever come across in my life. Not like even like a happy ending? No, or... it is sad the entire way through. And the, both characters die at the end. Oh, that's Okay, up. so here's the thing. During World War II, yeah. uh, lots of, obviously, other than the atomic bombs, mm-hmm. there's lots of like uh, napalms. So yeah. fire, in Japan during that time, all of the buildings were made of like wood. So it's just like, they're just tinderboxes, basically, yeah. these towns. Um, lots of people died. A lot, of, Mostly civilians. A lot of civilians died. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie is about uh, a civilian brother who's about, mm-hmm. he's less than 10, maybe around 10 or something. It's been a while since I've watched the movie. And his younger sister, mm-hmm. who is in like preschool age. Yeah. Um, 
And parents die, are killed in a house fire in a napalm, mm-hmm. uh, are forced to, in the beginning of the movie, they're forced to live with an aunt and uncle who's very abusive. Because at this time during the war, Japan was losing and they were, it was a matter of pride. Um, they, there was no food. There was no like energy sources were released. So like asking for uh, another serving of rice was like mm-hmm. a big ask because everybody had so little food yeah, and so little money because um, it was all being spent into the war. Uh, so they, they hated the fact the aunt and uncle hated the fact that they had to take care of their dead siblings, children. Mm-hmm. It's just two extra mouths to feed. Yeah. Um, they eventually run away from aunt, aunt and uncle because they were just so abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they both end up dying. There's a lot more to the story, but like yeah. they just both die. Do you know the moral of that story is one mm-hmm. of the main morals of that story right. is if the boy took all of that abuse on the chin and just... They would have survived? They would have survived. The point of the story is not to have boundaries. The point of the story was if you just took it on the chin, you wouldn't have killed your sister. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the story. Like if you... They, they were fucking abusive and they were manipulative. It's like there's so much nuance to that story. But if you just fucking took it on the chin yeah. and realized and, and you humbly accepted your place in your life that your parents are dead and this is the only way to survive, you wouldn't have killed your sister. And in, in turn, in the movie version, I think yeah. he dies too. Or in, in, in Furza, he dies. In the book version, I think it was different from the movie version. Mm-hmm. That's the lesson of the story. Yeah. Isn't that a very unique, interesting moral? So, I've never seen a movie that's had that moral where it's like you should have just took it up the ass. Yeah. So I spoke with somebody... Uh, that anyway, it, so it's, it's like, kind of like that. Basically, they told me they're like, "Oh yeah, I don't work in music anymore because I met them in music, you know." And I asked them why, and they're like, "I just started saying no to too many things, and to be honest, at a certain point, I just stopped getting called." I yeah. was like, "So, so it's like, yeah, damn. so like that's that's something that you have to balance, and you figure out that's barely it's that should that is strategically, uh, you know, in relation to desire and what you want." Mm-hmm. But I will say as much, as much as I am an advocate of therapy and mental health, this episode specifically is dedicated to the yang side of the yin and yang, mm-hmm. yin yang, um, the chaotic side of sometimes if you aren't willing to eat shit, you will lose. Yeah. And you have to balance it out. Like you have to balance it out. Like for example, um, this is something that's really real. You may have a disability of some kind, of various nature. Like if it's really severe, the story kind of changes. But if you might have a slight, like we're both very ADHD. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people make that in their entire personality. Yeah. I think that's really weird. Um, or like they, they're like slightly autistic and that becomes their entire personality. Mm-hmm. And for some people, <laughs> I'm not going to, okay, never mind. Um, as much as that is valid, you at some point in your life, even with whatever disability you have, you have to accept that if you want to be happy or to do well, there's a certain level of acceptance of yourself mm-hmm. and acceptance of the issues that you have enough where you're still willing to push through it and to cope with it in a healthy way. Yeah. Like obviously extremes don't matter. Like if you're so OCD that you're unable to be social, like if yeah. you're unable to just survive in the, you know, that is different. But I mean, like with people like us who have extreme levels of ADHD, we are the poster children of ADHD. We still learn like, okay, I have to show up to meetings on time and I have to figure out how to cope with being on meetings on time. 
You know, like, like yeah. we have to make schedules, we have to make to-do lists, and that's just a part of a being adult. And like, there's this balance of, yes, you have ADHD, so you should be forgiving. People should be easier on you. But the other side of the balance is, you shouldn't be as forgiving on yourself as you should. Yeah. If you just took it on the chin and did the hard thing and just assume everybody else is also having a hard time, but they're just working on it, unlike you. you, know, like, yeah. you and like, if you just took it on the chin, you could have survived. You could have done well. And and this is the reason why I think that we're doing so well, is because at the, at the end of the day, and anybody that does want to do really well that this episode is to talk about the other side of the balance which is you have to fucking take it on the chin you have you have to set your expectations to realize or not even <clears throat> expectations is a heavy nuanced word but you have to uh you have to realize that this is something, this is a decision that you're going to have to make eventually and you can't just avoid this decision. Yeah. Are you the type of person that is going to eat shit, that is willing to take shit? Or are you, are you the type of person that's going to succumb to your valid and reasonable excuses? Yeah. And and um, there's a balance. There's a, anyway, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm starting to get on a tangent there, but. Lou, have you, uh, uh, how do you feel about? I just find that story so interesting. Like the 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 grave of the fireflies. Like, yeah, I find that to be such an important so lesson. Um, when I first started, like really, really dedicating time, like and like quit my nine to five and everything was like burn your bridges kind of thing. I burn would, the boats. Yeah. Yeah, not the bridges. Cortez. Yeah, you're not trying to burn bridges. Yeah, <laughs> We're yeah, burning yeah. boats here. Yeah, with with yeah. Cortez. That's a yeah. Um, but basically, um, I saw myself thrive because the idea of failing is just so not in my wheelhouse. It's not like the idea of failing is always possible, but to allow it to happen is just not there. So, like, I hear the story and I get it. Like, uh, it's, it's a movie at the end of the day. Hopefully it's fiction. Cause that'd be a fucked up truth. But unfortunately that is some people's fucked up truth. Some people really just would rather get away from it and then ends up worse. Right. But in my eyes, it was like, I was taking on every job that I could because I really wanted it to work out. And part of me really wanting it to work out is knowing when to take it on the chin. Yeah, this is true. This is uh, and I will end the episode like this. Um, this is something that I've heard someone say a few months ago, but the concept of both the superhero and the supervillain come from the same dark place. They just took a different path. They just took a different path. They did a study. The they did a study on twins. I don't know if you ever saw this. Uh, one went to jail. One ended up becoming a lawyer. And, oh, is that uh, how twins work? One of them is always evil. Like no, no, not not that. No, like if I was a twin, I'd be like, wait, which one am I? <laughs> no, but um, they basically they when asked the question like, so how'd you end up here? And I was like, well, what'd you expect? I came from a home like this, but both of them came, came from, from the same home. home. So it's like both of them saying that. Uh, was like the ultimate correlation of like it's not necessarily the where you are it's how you move from there yeah you're you can have a very different end result depending on the decisions you make yeah there's a lot of like social commentary that we can make about politics and how uh i can only speak on the north america the united states in general of po uh, politically socially um 
the importance of people needing to feel special. So self-proclaiming disabilities to be in a protected class or self-proclaiming, you know, so like the the race not, to the bottom. Yeah. It, it yeah. becomes a race. It's a very slippery slope race to the bottom. And like, as much as that's important, because the, the reason why I started is because people didn't feel like there was enough representation. And yeah. so it's sw- the pendulum swung that way because there was a lot of bullying just from people not understanding. So the point yeah. of it originally was to make sure people understand that this is something that does happen. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's good intentions. Uh, so I don't, I'm not a professional. I don't want to speak on this too much, but, um, at the end of the day, everything is a balance. And I know culturally right now we're kind of coming out of it, but, um, like, I think like red pill or like alpha content is just swinging the other way too hard. It's like counter swinging, but way too hard and incorrectly. Um, but there is a balance on like, sometimes you should just take it on the chin. You should just live with the abuse. There's a, this is a book. I haven't done a book recommendation in a, in a while. I feel like in a few episodes, more than a few episodes, but this is something that, um, I think a lot of Americans would really highly benefit from, um, is the psychology of Alfred Adler. I've been talking about him recently. A book that I recently finished is called the courage to be disliked. Um, if you have an issue with, um, being a yes man, um, being a fr- hating yourself, feeling imposter syndrome, not really sure how you fit in society and in the world, um, dealing with trauma and how trauma can affect your uh, inability to uh, uh, properly function in society. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the courage to be disliked is the psychology and the philosophy of of Alfred Adler, who is a uh, psychologist, uh, psychology, um, colleague of Carl Jung and, uh, Freud. So, um, within that same vein, um, Alfred Adler, this is one of the small things that the book does, uh, talk about, but it's a lot more nuanced than this. There's a lot more to talk about than just this, but from a surface level, uh, one of the things that, uh, Alfred Adler is famous for is that, um, Freud is, talks about how trauma creates just like different things. Like if you are afraid of society, that's because of trauma in the past. Mm -hmm. Like it's a a cause reaction type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Alfred Adler denies that and says that trauma, uh, like, uh, says that the decision, for example, if you have social anxiety, that is a decision you make unrelated to trauma, Mm -hmm. which sounds really weird. (laughs) Yeah. And really unsupportive of people that have social anxiety. But if you read the book, you understand where you understand um, where it comes from in a place that is, here's the thing. It's not a lack of empathy. It comes from a place of extreme empowerment Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, Alfred argues that you are in control of how you react to the world. Mm-hmm. It is not your trauma. You don't have to let your trauma and your parents and your upbringing, your your bullies, allow to shape your world. You still have the power to shape your own world. Yeah. It's a really good book. There's an, If you're a Spotify premium member, then you have 15 hours a month of audiobook that you can listen to. I think it's like a six and a half hour book. Um, the Courage to be Disliked by uh, Ichiro Kishimi and Fumitake Koga, Japanese guys. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of like, uh, Greek philosophy and also they don't say it, but a lot of like Buddhist principles in there too. It's really good book. Really, really good book. I think it's important for creatives to listen to that. 
um, especially if you feel like you have this incessant need to be liked, verified, to be liked. Yeah. yeah. If you're a people pleaser. A social blue check. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, highly recommend that book. Give it a good listen. Um, very empowering. Anyway, that's the, that's the episode. Sorry, no. a little bit of tangents. I think we kind of covered everything that was is uh, on our minds. Is I think there there's, I, I think really we encompassed as much as we can because I'm I'm sure knowing us we could talk about this for three hours. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, that's also probably not good for podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I think I think even if we did go on tangents, they're all tangents that were related and come back to it. Yeah, yeah. Linhart97 on Twitch just said, I feel like tangents podcasts are the best. So Honestly speaking, I'm not going to lie. I have to agree with Linhart because I noticed the podcast that I, I listen to, it's like they start with the subject, but it springs out into the branches of a tree from there. Like the topic is the trunk, but the branches is like the content that I'm listening to because there might be little details that come from those tangents where like, oh, I see. I understand. Yeah. yeah okay. A little more context to the topic. Yeah. yeah. I uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you want more technical tips, like how to use a fucking compressor or how to EQ vocals, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive. Lou and I will talk about uh, technical tips as much as we try, uh, like we can. Um, but the exclusive episodes are short, bite size, usually up to 20 minutes episodes that are 100%. They're all technical. Every yeah. single episode is technical. $4 a month or $40 a year. Get access to the exclusive episodes that come out twice a week, twice a week on Wednesdays and Thursdays of the Mixing Music Podcast um, at mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive. Uh, we also have a bunch of sponsors. If you're looking for discounts and whatnot, um, go to mixingmusicpodcast.com and check out our sponsors list where we do always have our current up-to-date sponsors um, or affiliate links so we get some kickbacks. So if you're going to buy something anyway, go ahead and check that out. Um, I think we do have like, we have an affiliate link with Sweetwater as well. Like if yep. you're thinking about buying something on Sweetwater, like do us the favor, take 10 seconds to use our Sweetwater link, mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Sweetwater to, so we get whatever percentage of the money that you spent going to us instead of the man. That whole nickel. <laughs> a whole nickel, dude. Uh, <laughs> many nickels makes 15 cents. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Lou a dull boy or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, on that note, happy mixing my friends and stay saucy. <laughs> <laughs>